Welcome to the Don't Tell God podcast. This is episode 10 and I'm your host, Alicia Juan Ramirez. And uh, in case you don't know, the purpose of this podcast is to give pastors and leaders a platform to be genuine and open about their life, faith and ministry. Now, before I continue, I actually want to apologize to you because I actually didn't uh, upload an episode last month. Uh, straight out, I was super busy, I was flat out and I didn't get a chance to uh, do anything. So my apologies. Now, in saying this, I think today's episode kind of makes up for it. Uh, In this episode, I interview Dennis Oliver. Now, Dennis is a former Anglican minister of a local church in Sydney, uh, yet now he's the head chaplain of a private school. And uh, look, over the, I think it was like eight or nine interviews I've had already with my guests, I've loved every single one of them, but Dennis takes the cake. He's so unique, so... Ah, energetic and fun and honest. And uh, in his words, he, he knows he has a big personality and I agree. But the fact that he's so raw and straight to the point, um, and even in his interview, he was so honest about life and God and all that he's been through. Now, a uh, couple of highlights for me in regards to this episode. So we talk about depression. We talk about, you know, uh, you know, should pastors take medication if they are, if they do suffer through depression or, or mental health. We talk about pain and suffering. Uh, Dennis's wife had cancer, so he talks a little bit about that. And we also talk about his passion, the fact that he loves teaching others the Word of God. Now, he calls the Word of God WOG, okay? So if you hear that a few times, WOG means Word of God. Enjoy this episode. Welcome, Dennis. Thank you for coming on, on the show. And uh, for those... Probably also not many people will know more will know about you. Um, I don't know, maybe in, in, a, in a sentence or a little bit, can you kind of describe who you are? And uh, yeah, I know, you, for those who can't see, obviously, because this is a podcast, he just rolled his eyes. Uh, can you describe yourself in a sentence or, yeah? I am poor. I am a married man uh, with an adult daughter. I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. Uh, God may be an extrovert, knows all the commas. Yep. And I do one day at a time. Yep. I love serving him. Amen. Amen. <laughs> now, I, I... <laughs> oh, that's really, really hard, dude. <laughs> now, I'm, I am going to add, you did mention you have a daughter. You didn't mention you have a son. Did you? Oh, oh, oh ben, ben will hear this and go, oh, I love him. <laughs> son, he's great. My daughter's married and moved out, and Ben lives at home with us, and I love him just as much. Yeah. You never know. He might not hear this, but uh, nah, that's 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 a good summary. Uh, so, uh, Dennis, I met you a couple of years ago through ministry. Uh, you know, through a SRE board, so scripture board. And uh, one of the things that really caught my attention is that you are. How do I say this? Uh, definitely not the the picture pastor or minister that people will see, especially in the Anglican circles, okay. right? Yep. Um, and I love it. You, you know, you kind of, you, you know, you tell the truth. Well, all pastors really tell the truth, but you are, you're pretty gun ho. You say what, how it is. Um, yeah, you, you know, you're an extrovert, as, as you said, and I, I love it. Now, I want to know, right? Because I met you a couple of years ago, Anglican minister here in Sydney. How did you get there? And I know, and a little bit later we'll add this, you're not, you're not there anymore, but I want to know, what, where's the journey? How did it start? Yeah. And how has God led you to your current ministry? Yeah, yeah. So I used to be a high school teacher, a physics teacher, um, and uh, I was involved in my church. And my 
my, my pastor said to him, you need to go to more college. And I said, what's more college? And he goes, oh, that's where they train ministers. And I went, oh, I didn't really want to go. Mm. Anyway, I ended up going to more college. I figured God will open the door or close it, just, yep. you know, depending on how he wants. And I got to more college and I, uh, I, I really didn't like it. It was, I didn't know it at the time, but it was too Anglo-Saxon for me. Okay. So the lecturers were great. They were great. And the students were great. But it was so Anglo-Saxon. It was really, really, really hard work. And every year at college, when you're a candidate, they, they put you through a board to test if they want to keep you as a candidate. And okay. I got through all four years and I came out and I ended up working at uh, uh, Mary Lance for my first position. Wow. That was really, really hard. Yeah. Were, were you from Western Sydney? Is that yeah. why you got put in Maryland? Or? Punchbowl boy, man. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I'm fully. Yeah, I grew up in Punchbowl. And, okay. Uh, and I was married in Guildford at the time. So yep. but being South American in an Anglo culture is really, really hard. Yeah. You know, well, Anglos don't touch each other. They don't stand next to each other. They don't kiss each other, you know, on the cheek they, twice. They, they, no, they don't hug. Uh, and this is not bagging out Anglos because Anglos are, are, are cool people. Literally, they're cool. And so, you know, like when you when I'm passionate about stuff, the voice raises. I'm not angry, but yeah. seen as antagonistic. And I'm not into rugby. I'm not into cricket. Who cares about that? If I say football, I mean soccer. Yeah. I don't mean rugby league. And there were all these little things that were really hard. Then the people would go, there was nothing wrong. It was a culture shock that I didn't know about. Mm. Yeah, well. yeah. So yeah, I was I was an Anglican. I became an Anglican minister and worked under Steve Semenchuk at Maryland's Anglican, and that was uh-huh. really cool because that was the Western suburbs again. Yeah, and that was real. That was excellent. That was excellent. So was that just a student pastor role or youth pastor? Or what, what was the role there? Uh, so uh, during during when you're trying to be an Anglican minister, uh, you're always doing uh, you're always working for someone each year. So you're, you're oh, like an okay. apprenticeship. Yep. And so I was under an apprenticeship for Stephen as the student minister, and he says, yep. come back as an assistant minister. Oh, yeah. I came back as an assistant, and I ran one of the congregations, and it was, yeah, it was really good. Was really and so good. how long did you do that for? Um, I was there a couple of years, and then Steve moved on to be the um, minister at DAPTO. Oh, yeah. DAPTO, and I, and I applied for the position at um, as the minister to go from assistant to senior, yep. and, I, and I didn't get it. And, and that's wait, wait, you didn't get it, even no, though you no, been... no, no. Oh, no, well, it's about because it was a multi center church, and okay. uh, I'm, I'm not a multi center guy, I know that I can't do that sort of stuff. Okay, no, I'm, more, I'm more a people person, not a systems person, yeah, yeah, and and, the, and right, and you know, it's God's providence, I didn't get it. And uh, several months after that, I applied for a position and I got one at Hornsby. Heights Anglican uh-huh. Church to be the, the head honcho there. I also met Maddie there. Um, yeah, yeah. Boss. Yeah. And yeah, I was at the head honcho there for about six years. So, and then I, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, so when you got declined at this church, were you, how did you feel? Did you feel like, okay, well, you know, I, I'm going to continue on or did you get angry at God or did you, did you look at other options of getting away from ministry saying, look, that was, you know, that was my time here. That was great. I'll move on. Yeah. What, what were your thoughts there? Uh, look, so for me, I'm not angry. Angry with God is not the right answer for me. Not not out of piety. Mine's more insecurity. So I go, oh, I'm just not good enough. Yeah. And and the people that interviewed were great. I knew they were parishioners, you know. Yeah. Um, eventually, I got to the place where I, I learned that God had other plans. You know, that meant that that emotional place. 
Yeah. And and I also knew that my personality is big. I'm not in, I'm not an alpha male or anything like that, but I'm a big personality. I knew that if they got a new guy, I yeah. would be happy to help, but I'd have to go because. Yeah, fair enough. That, that's it's too you know a new guy needs to start again, and I know yeah. I'm a pain in the backside. You know. <laughs> really, I thought you're not that bad. Oh, I, I I've got I've got yeah. Look, I'm a big personality. Yeah. And. If you can hack it, I'm 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 harmless, but some yeah, guys okay. get intimidated by that. Yeah, that's that fair enough. Sense. Okay, and so you moved to Hornsby, and so was yeah, that as Hornsby the boss, Island. as senior minister, yeah, or as the boss? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was uh, that was a tricky church because it um, they had a things went wrong with the previous minister, and oh, there was man. lots of people hurting, lots of people hurting, and the bishop, you know, kind of said, you know, you got to be careful with this. Anyway. Um, Sounds really pious, but if you, I just kept teaching the Bible, and people just want to be loved. Yeah. And after six or seven years there, I felt it was time to move on because I felt I did. I felt at that stage I did what I could do with that church that, uh, and they needed someone to take them to the next step. Yeah. But that was a great church. Lots of good people there. So, so tell me how how did you know? Because you, you mentioned like you know you knew that you know your time was up in a, in a sense after six seven years. Yeah. Was that something you, you thought about when you first started? Yeah, I'll be here about five, six, seven years. Was it a Holy Spirit thing? Was it, I don't know. Yeah. It was a combination of goal setting and gut feel. So okay. um, this is this is really hard because I know where this podcast will be heard by, but I would say Hornsby Heights at that stage was um, not a, it was, it was dysfunctional in its place. And my yeah. goal was I wanted to be a functional family. Yeah. And I'm not saying I'm not saying I took it there. Please do not hear that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it got to that place by God's providence and my contribution. Mm. And I thought we're there. What's the next step? And I just prayed about it, and I realised um, because I'm not a big systems thinker. I'm a. I, if, if you had to do the analogy, there are sergeants and colonels and generals. Some people, yeah. you know, some ministers are generals, yeah. and they've got the people skills of a rock. But they can make things happen, yeah. and other people are other people are sergeants that they like getting their hands dirty. But they've got to learn how to be systems managers as much as the systems managers got to learn how to be human beings. Yeah. And so I was at the bottom end, and I knew they needed someone further up the food chain to take them to the next step. I could have them running as a family, but they need to move not beyond a family, but onto a if they want to grow in numbers, they need to, a different person. Yeah. And I knew I wasn't that person. Wow, that's amazing that you knew. Yeah, you knew a lot about yourself, which is really helpful because that's something that I'm learning now after 10 years of ministry, and that's hard. But I, I feel like, obviously, for you, a lot of your decisions were based on this is not who I am. I, I need to move on, which is very humbling because you could have just said, no, nah, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to continue on. You know, it doesn't matter what the church thinks or, or you know, or whatever. So that's that's really interesting. Yeah, and, and God is, I can't, it's hard to explain, but God is always there, you know, like, I can't, it's hard, I can't even articulate in words, you know, like God is so present in prayers and doubts yeah. and, and, and ruminations, you know, and I've made stacks of mistakes. That's uh, the reason the advantage of being a, an extrovert is all your mistakes are on the outside, so you get more of a chance to learn. You know what I mean? <laughs> what, what's your biggest mistake, if, if you can say it? Like, or, yeah. My biggest mistake. Or one of your biggest. Hopefully you haven't too many. Oh, my, the... My ongoing mistake is um, I always feel like now is the best time to do things. Now. Let's do it now. Let's fix it now. Let's, 
now, 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 while the energy, and yeah. I'm always battling that. I wouldn't. I used to be very impulsive, um, and now I've just got to go right. Bronwyn's my wife is much more cautious and wise, and I've learned. I'm always learning and relearning. Now may not be the best time. Uh, gather data. Gather. Wait for things to fall. Some things to fall into place. So yeah, that's. And I'm I'm very forward. Here you go. Here's my theory. Of, here's my theory on life. My theory yeah, yeah. On go life for it. Yeah. When you when you're when your personality strength is unbalanced, it becomes your weakness. You know. So my personality. I've got certain gifts and personality. So I'm I'm an out there person. Yep. And and I've got people skills. And so when that's sanctified and balanced, it becomes my strength. Yeah. When when I'm not in balance. Well then, um, my extrovertism becomes a terrible, terrible trait. So I think, I think we're all like that, you know. Yeah. So then I'm, yeah, I've made so many mistakes. I can't tell you the worst. They're just everywhere. Yeah, but we've got God's grace, which is which is the beauty. And, and I, that's right. And that's the mentality, you know. Like what is it? What's that old saying? You fall down seven times, get up eight. Yeah. You know, you just you own mistakes. Is the is the arena? Failure is the arena for learning and growth. So. So look, there, there might be you know young leaders, young pastors up there, and it's very easy for for you and I to say, yeah, you know, you fall down seven times, you get up eight. But for for young ministers, that that would be hard because you know they may be portrayed or at least think, now I've got to be that perfect pastor or that perfect leader. How do you mentally kind of deal with that? Saying, no, I've I'm, I'm broken. I know that I've I've got faults. I move on. Yet at the same time, you know that the expectation as a minister or as a as a pastor is quite high. So how do you balance that where, yeah, th- does that make sense? It does. Yep. So so I think what's helped me, um, you, you never get over that sense of failure. You just own it. You own your mistakes. And, you know, like there's only one person in my, there's only one person in my stadium. Okay. And I have to throw everybody out except for that one person, and that's Jesus. I know that sounds pious, but it's true. You go, when you make a mistake, you have the balls to own it. Yeah. And when you own it, you go to the people and you apologize for that failure. And then you go to them and then you offer them the, the rest. Of, you know, I'm sorry I did this. I will not do this again. Instead, I will do this. You own it. Yeah. Get up. You do it for Jesus, and it's not about your failure. It's about if you think that God's got you as a minister to X, Y, Z. It's about the people. It's about winning them. It, and that's the that's the heart set, not the mindset. The heart set. Get over yourself. Own the pain. You can't undo the pain, but you've got to just. What's the big picture about? You know, that's the only way to to do it. And it hurts like hell. You never get over the pain. My failures. Every all the time, every day, you know. Yeah. Like I actually, the funny thing is, I was having a Zoom meeting, and one of my kids that I know, in my class, I was calling her by her mother's name <laughs> because that was she was using a mum's computer, and then I didn't realise till afterwards. Oh no! I was just—it was one of those days, you know. I had a brain explosion. So the first thing I did after the lesson, I went, "Oh my goodness, what have I done?" She's only twelve, yeah, but yeah. she needs to know that the guy who runs the class, who calls himself the college chaplain, he needs to know that yeah. he's sorry and because this is about her reputation as well, you know, in yeah. front of peers. And I apologised and she forgave me and um, I, and you move on. And and now I've also remembered, okay, slow down, Dennis, focus. Yeah. Yeah, own your mistakes. I would encourage young ministers, own your mistakes. Your people will love you more 
when you own them and apologise. I think yeah. it's very unwise for any minister not to own their mistakes. Yeah. It's the only thing you can own is your sin. You may as well own it completely. Yeah. And so do you think, is there a point where, okay, you own your mistakes, but then obviously there are mistakes that are pretty big. Like, you know, we, we talk about forgetting someone's name or, you know, maybe you get just too excited or a bit rude or whatever, but there's some mistakes that you think, oh man, it might even divide a church, it might wreck families. Yeah, is is there a line and what, where is that line in regard to say, actually, I'm not fit to be a minister? And I know, obviously, you can't talk about your own personal experience in that regard, but what are your thoughts on that? Oh, yeah, and that's the question you do have to ask yourself because um, it's all about the body of Christ. You know, like, you know that thing where it says, you know, like apostles and teachers and all that are a gift. And I, I really think you own your mistakes, and then when you feel like that mistake is compromising the body of Christ, you've got to pull out. Wow. You've, you've, you've got to do what is right. So I yeah. left that church, not because I made a mistake, because I knew – I wasn't the man to take it forward. Yeah. So I aimed to resign. There was no problems. Yeah. You know, and if you if you do the wrong thing, say adultery, which is not uncommon in ministry, yeah. and you own it. You uh, own it and you and you do all the things that are appropriate to fix it. And if yeah. if it's about you going, then you you must go. Yeah. You know, if or let's be real, how many guys, you know, are dabbling in porn? Yeah. Are they owning it? Yeah. What are they doing about it? All this sort of stuff, you know. Yeah. You, you've got to. It's about. It's, you know, it's about building the body of Christ. That's what matters. That's so good. That's that's really helpful. Okay, I'm and I think that. yeah, you've yeah, you've made it really clear, and I think that's really important. And also, this is something that you you practice, which is great. And you can tell you're passionate, and you understand it. You're not just saying it because for the sake of saying it. You you actually believe this, which is really good. Yes. So. Hornsby, where'd you go after that? So yeah. I moved on from there and... Um, so transferred, transferred over well, to another... Well, in the Anglican system, it's it's kind of like, it's, imagine like it's a dating system. So you you go for the job interview with the nominators of that parish and it's a yeah. bilateral interview. They're seeing if they want you, but you're also seeing if you want them. You yeah. And so I moved on from Hornsby Heights and I ended up at um, Angl- uh, Mortal Peakhurst. Yeah, yeah. And... Um, I knew that was right when I went for the interview and was was still having a laugh around the table um, with uh, red wine three hours later. Wait, you had red wine in the, in the well, interview? Well, no, they, they were clever. that They interviewed us and then they said, come over for a barbecue. And with there the, you go. The leaders, which is clever, I think, because I yeah. think you can answer all the right questions in the interview, but I think it's who are you when there's a glass of beer in your hand and a steak in your mouth when you're yeah. relaxed? Are you that? It's about the chemistry as much as the competency if you like yeah 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 you know and yeah it was two three hours and it was i thought yeah. okay this could work you know and hopefully it will work and it did they, they were good people and um yeah i was at uh motel picos yeah now you mentioned for those who, who don't know this obviously you were a minister for a number of years you've just taken on a new role so you've left uh your motel picos church anglican church yeah. you're now senior chaplain um was it a tough decision to leave vocational ministry in regards to, as a minister and to move into a school? Because you're a school chaplain, head of yeah. yeah. So I would say, so just for the online people, I'm an old codger at 54. So 54? Um, I thought you were yeah. older. No, I'm joking. Hey, respect <laughs> there, boy. Um, so what was the question? Uh, I forgot now. Now, I think I asked you what um, – 
how do you find transitioning from, from oh, yeah, minister yeah, was- and now to a chaplain? Because that's massive. Like you understand from church to church, but from a church to becoming school chaplain, that's a huge, huge change. It was massive. So um, I would say both are vocations. So I think to be a minister is a vocation and I yeah. think to be a chaplain is a vocation because that's true. You're still, you're still ministering. It's just yeah. that your congregation is different, you know? Yeah. It was a massive. It was a massive difference that I underestimated. Um, enough. Well, I can. I'm happy to say it. so. Enough for me. So I was on. I got. I got depression a couple of years ago, and I decided. Uh, Bron and I decided I should uh, try out uh, seeing a doc and see if I need to go on antidepressants, and I did. And it was good. And I was on them for about two years, and and then I got off them, and uh, because. Well, the, the doctor and I chatted about it and I, yeah. all my coping mechanisms were in place and blah, blah, blah. But uh, I, in first term, uh, I was there. I could feel uh, all the things you feel with depression and I had yeah. to get back on the medication just to help me giddy up with stuff because yeah. it was a change in system. Yeah. So when you're, when you're a minister, at least an Anglican minister, um, you're not only change jobs, but you're changing churches. You're not only changing churches, but when you do go to a new church, you no longer operate in the church the same way you've been operating for for two decades. Wow. You know what I mean? And yeah. And again, um, I underestimated the changes. It was really, really tough. But I have to say I was praying every morning, term one and term two, every single morning. So it's a half hour, 40-minute drive there. I was praying the whole way there, listening to Christian music, talking to God. I'd listen to some music. Yeah. I'd pause the music, talk to God some bits, unload, and at a very special time. Wow. And he carried me all the way through. You know the footsteps thing about in the sand, in you know, that poetry about the uh, yep. Yeah. Well, there's no two footsteps in the sand. There's only ever one footstep in my one because Jesus is carrying me all the way. Uh, all the way. Yeah. <laughs> Keep carrying me. <laughs> so, if you don't mind me, I just want to um, elaborate a little bit more. So, you, you know, you talk about you know you were taking antidepressant stuff as as a as a minister or even as a Christian at times. Some people, I'm not saying this is my personal view, but that's like a taboo. Like, how do you take antidepressants? You know, you've got God; that's all you need. Like, how, how would you respond to that when people, yeah, when people might potentially say that? Maybe people have. Yeah. yeah. Well, no one has. Okay, that's good. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So all knowledge is God's knowledge. You know, so we believe, say, you know, when you look at Proverbs, you can see from, say, the book of Proverbs, that steals wisdom from other culture, sanctifies it and makes it God's wisdom. Even Jesus says, look at the birds, learn from them. It's a form of science, isn't it? Yeah. And so all wisdom is God's wisdom. All knowledge is God's knowledge. And um, if my body... If I'm responsible and have all the things in place, so I exercise regularly, I've got a good relationship with my wife, I talk through my problems. If you're still going downhill, once you put all those things in place, you have to take your medication. Yeah. You know what I mean? You've got to try the medication at least to giddy up. That's right. Otherwise, like you never say, you know, to me that's the same argument as saying to a diabetic, why are you taking your insulin? If you believe believe in the Lord Jesus, you would be healed from this. But the reality is, you know, um, God heals you through science. Yeah. As, as, you know, like, and of course, it's not always through miracles. God's smarter than that. Mm, that's right. You can use doctors and, you know, specialists and stuff. Yeah. And more importantly, um, my body's not my body. I've got to take care of this resource that God's given me. Yeah. And I wasn't winning. Yeah. 
I wasn't winning. And so that's just, it would be ridiculous if I didn't take yeah. uh, dep- antidepressants. That'd be, re- at least didn't try that avenue. Yeah, that's right. And I think that's so helpful, Dennis. Thank you for, for sharing that because I think, you know, potentially there, there are, you know, pastors and ministers um, or even just Christians who um, may not try it because they might feel guilt and shame and, you know, and people may, you know, say all this horrible stuff saying, oh, you know, you've got to rely on God. If you don't, um, you know, if you start taking medications, you're not relying on God and you're a horrible Christian. And, and I, the reason why I say that is because I've heard people not say it to me specifically, but I've heard people talk about it. And I think that's horrible. Uh, but the way you've made it clear, I think that's fantastic, and that's really good. So thank you for that. Yeah, thank you for that honesty. Um, ministry, a lot of experience, uh, which which is really good. Uh, but I did ask you a question as well about your biggest hurdles that you've had uh, in life and in ministry. And uh, there's a couple of things there. Like, we don't have to talk about all of them, but I, I am very intrigued. Uh, because one of the first things you put down was your wife having cancer. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so do you want to elaborate a little bit more about that? Yeah, so when we were at Hornsby Heights, um, Bron found a lump in her leg and it ended up being a grade four cancer. That's the same time I found out my father died, but that's another story. Um, and so she had this chemotherapy. So she was, we'd drive her into hospital and she'd stay overnight for a couple of days for chemotherapy and then we'd pick her up again. And that was really hard, um, watching your wife become a skeleton from the treatment. Um, Going through the process as a man and not being able to do anything for my wife. And um, they got the cancer and the chemo was bad. Then they, because she had it in her leg and a consequence of the X-ray therapy, they did on the leg as well as the chemo was it, it would give a brittle bone. So they had to open her up again and put a rod down a femur. So if she got a hit, it wouldn't shatter into a thousand pieces. And being part of that and walking, in, you know, when you marry and you say better or worse, richer or poorer, yeah. in whatever circumstance, you have no idea what you're saying. And yeah. um, it was a privilege to walk through with Bronwyn on that, but it was really hard. Just really feeling powerless as a husband and a man. Yeah, I can't imagine. That, it's hard to imagine, but that's when the that's when the church shone. Yeah, I don't know how, but people kept mowing my lawns, and I was I'm sure I was home every day. But someone, someone literally broke into my backyard, mowed my lawn, and broke out again. <laughs> and we keep on finding meals at our front door. So this is Hornsby Heights. Great, wow. they were they took care of us, and yeah. God was good. But it was just a nightmare. We, did you just start as a minister when all this was happening or were you there? For- no, this was near the end of my ministry, yeah. Okay. So enough for when we started at Mortdale Peakhurst, we just had to tell them that Brom is near the, you know, she's in remission at that stage. So it was right on the cusp between wow. the two ministries. So how many years was this to fight with cancer for your wife? Um, I think, oh, I'm trying to remember, I think it was it was five years before they kind of say, you're kind wow. of all right, you know. So you, she'd go for a test and you kind of go, well, please don't come back, you know, like, and they said if it came back, it'd come back as secondaries in the lungs or whatever. And every time oh, she had man. a cold or something, go, oh. But it, that, that was, yeah, that was hard, but it was just watching your wife suffer. That's the worst. And I still remember one night in bed, Brom was just dry reaching from all the chemo. And I just remember seeing this, this old lady there, like, and I thought, my poor woman, I didn't, and it just made me so sad. 
What do, what do you do? What do you do in that situation? Because also that just rocks your whole world. You know, it doesn't matter if, you know, your, your ministry, your family, like what do you do? You write it and you take care of your woman. You just do what you can. Sometimes I, you know what to do. So, here you go. The only, what dictated what I should do was I would ask problem what she needed and I would supply that need as best as I could because when you care for someone, you you care for their agenda, not yours. Yeah. So I didn't know what to do. So I thought, well, if I don't know what to do, I'll ask Bronwyn and I'll do what I can for her. And that's, and of course, prayer is just a no-brainer. Yeah. You know, it's just a no-brainer. Yeah. Um, and the funny thing is, people guys, they're going, oh, Dan, you know, how are you going? I go, we're actually going good. No, no. How are you really going? I mean, no, we really are going good. And they go, you don't have to pretend with us. I tell them, we're not pretending with you. Like, God was really, really good. Like, we were at peace yeah. and upset at the same time. Yeah. Those two states coexisted, you know, and it was very strange. I was more upset that I couldn't help my wife, but no one could help me with that because I wanted to help yeah, my that's wife. Right. And so, did, did you lower lower your your ministry duties? Like, what? How did that look like? Did you spend more time with your family? Obviously, there'll be appointments and stuff that you have to do. You want to put your wife first. So, how did that? Yeah, all, all pan out. Um, I don't remember the details. Yeah. Um, I don't remember the details. Like, there you go. There's a blur. I obviously took time to care for Bronwyn. Um, and we did ministry. Like, in some ways when you go through something like that, you want your life to be as normal as possible with what you can do, with yeah. energy levels. And so you adapt. And that's that's the blessing of ministry is a strange job because it's so strange and flexible. You can be flexible. Yeah, and some right. ministers, I think, take advantage of it. Um, but I think, yeah, you know what? And the, the church was, this is where Hornsby Heights just shone like family. They were fabulous. You know, the, right. and it, that's God. That's, that's the body of Christ in its full yeah. function, you know. Yeah. It's very and, kind. And also comes back to what you were saying earlier on, where this was part of God's plan, where, you know, you got denied at, you know, this other church, moved here, and God knew that you are going to have the support when this challenge came. And, yeah, that's awesome. And Bronwyn can speak into lots of women's lives. I'm not saying she's, you know, I'm not saying she's like a, a public speaker, but she can sit beside any woman who's had cancer and go, I get it. Yeah. And for Christians to share common when Christians share their suffering, yeah, and you can talk about how God carried them through. It's a, and I can talk to any guy whose wife's got cancer, going, "I'm your experience is yours and different mine, but I I can feel where you're coming from." Yeah, no, that's right. Oh man, that's awesome, and that's good. You know, obviously, it's, you know, we you look look back now and say, "Well, you have the experience you can share." You know, that's why God's led me through. Uh, but at the same time, it's a nightmare. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine, you know, and I'm sure you prepared for the worst and I'm sure you, yeah, many prayers, I'm sure you'll say that night and seeing your wife just in pain is, yeah, that'll be, yeah, horrible. But, um, yeah, thankfully God's, you know, brought you through it. And your wife's healthy now? Or Bronwyn, she's healthy, is that right? Yeah, yeah, Bron, Bron's good. And if even if God didn't bring us through it, the funny thing is I know where she's going. Yeah. And we would deal with the different grief if it was otherwise. But God is yeah. good. Yeah. yeah, God is good. Even if she died, God is good. And she would say the same thing. Wow. That's awesome that, you know, you can say that because, uh, I, yeah, I don't, yeah, I haven't thought about it was too much, but, yeah, I don't know what I would I mean, say. You never have to think about it. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And I think the main thing is, and this is where I can see it really shining in you, that you're, you know, God's your rock. 
you know, for you, everything, you know, your ministry, like even our time together, when we serve together, it's all about Jesus. And I think that's the most important thing, you know, minister, not a minister, just but as a Christian, Jesus has to be your rock. Amen. Uh, yeah, it's good. Amen. Um, all right. I've got uh, one last question, which may be a long or short, depending how or how much you talk. Um, but I, I, I want to know the truth, and I, um, and I think this is important. And one of the things I asked you previously in, in the email is, look, what are you most passionate for, and why? And uh, I love your answer, um, and you you brought this to my attention earlier because one of your answers was teaching people how to access the WOG. W-O-G, for themselves. And I was like, what is Dennis talking about? Is he talking about his South American blood? <laughs> Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, so I, I apologize for that because WOG, that WOG for me is word of God. Yeah. So I, what I'm most passionate about is teaching people how to access the word of God for themselves. So I could say, hey, I'm passionate about teaching the word of God, but I would really love to... I, what I love is teaching people how to use their Bible so they don't need me or any expert, inverted commas, to access the Word of God. Yeah. Because I think the big thing I've learned um, in the last couple of years um, from experiencing it, uh, it's always been a truth. You know, it says the Word of God is living, sharp, and a two-edged sword. That's right. Um, I know that the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible and I know that the word of God is alive. But when you watch it work on people, you know, when you watch Christians go, the funny thing about being a preacher is the Christians always thank you for that message. But all I've done is explain the gospel. So I've just given the word of God to them. I haven't done anything. I've just given them the word of God and they think, oh, that was a good message. But actually I just read the Bible, you know, um, <laughs> You can do it yourself, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I. But all all a sermon is is isn't a sermon just a, a, a preacher looking at the Word of God, yeah, uh, highlighting good parts of it, and then talking about how it's changed their lives and changed the lives of others. That's all we're doing. You That's know? right. And um, and I really believe it's living. You know, so even at school, even if the kids, what I'm learning in a good way is, I just all I want to do is show the kids the Word of God. So for Christian studies class. I'll get them interacting with the Bible and answering questions. I don't expect them to believe. They go, oh, we don't have to believe that. I said, don't believe. You don't have to believe it. Just engage with it, analyze yeah. it, and tell me what you think. And you watch the Word of God work on the kids. And even if they reject it, that is still, they're exposed to the living Word of God. And it got the Spirit works through that. That's what I'm passionate about, you know. Yeah. Just, yeah. So I'm intrigued by this. So, we, you know, you just mentioned teaching people how to access the Word of God for themselves. How do you do that? Like, I, like, I don't know if I'm gonna, I can explain this properly, but you know, as as a pastor, how do you do that with with those congregations, youth group, young adults? Because also, you can say to someone, "Look, you know, read the Word of God. It's so important. It's going to help you." Yeah. How how do you do that? Because I know you're passionate for it. How do you encourage and how do you teach people how to do that properly? Yeah, and this is the this is the funny thing. The best place to to teach the Word of God, I think, the very, 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 very best place is in a Bible study, where there's time to read it. Because at the end of the day, you want people reading the Word of God. And I think it's an old saying, but the most important words in the Bible are the small words: for, if, because, and but. And if you can just teach people how to read the Bible like a normal book, to follow its logic, to let you tell you its story, to emphasize what it wants to say, rather than I think too many ministers use the Bible as a springboard for their particular theology. That's, that could be right, mm. 
Mm. But they're not letting the Bible speak for itself. So in a Bible study, you look at the word and you ask people what they think it means and ask them how they got there and then highlight bits of the sentence. Why do you say that? You know, like you show them. And I think for sermons, a sermon, sometimes you've got to lift the bonnet up of the car and show them how it works. So occasionally on a sermon, you ask people, why do you think that because is there for? What is it trying to say? You know, using rhetorical questions as they examine the text, um, I'm trying to teach them to let the text speak for itself. Yeah. You know, and so as a, you know, it's what it's like as a preacher. So you might have some, you come across poetry and lamentations and you'll treat the poetry and lamentations or the prophecy in Isaiah very, very different from the way you'll treat historical narrative or even some teaching from Paul. But you teach people their skills on how to read poetry, how to read logical teaching, how to read history, yeah. how to read the feel. Like, as you know, there's a, the Bible tells you stuff for a reason, but it also, it also omits stuff. If it doesn't tell you, don't worry about it. You know, like yeah. that's not the agenda of the text. That's your agenda. And I think that's the secret of Bible teaching is to enable people to listen to the word of God by teaching them how to read it on its terms, not our terms, which is a really hard thing to do. It is. It is. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like you're very good at it to teach others and, uh, yeah, this is exciting. The fact that you can, you know, you've done it with the congregations before, and now you're doing it with the young people. And like you said, the young people, they're like sponges. They want to know stuff. And they might not agree uh, with everything. And I think in your school, 95% of them probably won't agree. But at least, they're, at least they're open to it, and you can preach it, and we're just going to let the Holy Spirit work within them. That's it. Uh, and, and you're going to see the fruits in five, ten years' time. Yeah, uh, look, and even if, you know what, even if we don't see the fruits, yeah, that's all right. Yeah. You know, when when, when you that's get those true. little wins, that's God being kind to us to go. He pats you on the head, goes, I know what I'm doing, but I'll just show you that something's happening occasionally. You know, like, you know, yeah. it's like a, you lead a youth group. Sometimes you think, man, are these kids even listening? Then, they, then they'll say something and you'll go, okay, I am making a difference. And that's God going, Alicia, it's all good, man. That's true. You know, like. That's very true. You know, yeah. It's amazing how God. Yeah, it gives the little encouragement, those little little uh, milestones, which is not not for him, it's for us. Yeah. Because you know? like you said, you know, we can always, we can doubt ourselves, oh, should I be in ministry? Should I not be in ministry? Am I doing a good job? Am I not doing a good job? And like you said, God's just like, hey, have this little piece of encouragement to keep That's you. That's right. To keep remember, you remember Elijah when he's having a whinge on the last one left? Yep. Oh, no one loves me. And God goes, yep. come out here, buddy. Look in that cave. There's 7,000 people now. Shut up and get back to work. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that's right and we look at that it's funny because we look at that story like oh, how stupid was Elijah but we're the same we're the same there's no difference yes no yeah. difference yeah Dennis it's uh, it's been a privilege and well, uh, thank no, you thank, thank you for coming you. on the podcast uh, thank you for being honest and real I think uh, yeah there's a lot of stuff here where I think a lot of people will, will resonate and yeah, I think you're helping a lot of people. So I appreciate that. You're so, very yeah, kind, thank, brother. You're very kind. Thanks very much, Dennis. All right, man. I'll leave you be. Man, what an episode. Um, that interview with Dennis was so fun. And he just made it so easy for me just to chat to him about, you know, his experience. Um, yeah, it, it, was, it was awesome. And I really hope that it was a blessing uh, for you as well. Uh, like I said in the intro, um, couple of things caught my attention in interview, you know, the fact that he talked about depression, um, the challenge of being a husband and a pastor, yet, you know, his his wife was going through 
uh, cancer, uh, a, a battle there, and you know his thoughts and his feelings. Uh, but one thing that really caught my attention, you know, all that was great, but one thing that stood out for me, and this is more of a personal thing, uh, is the fact that he spoke about uh, owning your failure and, and growing from your failure. You know, he, he said in the interview, mistakes is the arena for learning and growth. And I thought that was that was gold. I thought that was amazing. I'm like, man, that is so true. You know, as pastors, uh, we know that we're not we're not perfect, and I think sometimes we try so hard to be perfect that it just drives us insane. And I'm not saying that we should just be blasé with our life, but just be like, okay, if I make a mistake, that's okay. What can I learn from it? What can I do? But ultimately, is hey own up to it admit that you made a mistake and i think that's that's important um yeah now hopefully this episode uh was a blessing to you or maybe one of the other episodes were were really good so uh if you can uh please uh follow me either on spotify on apple or wherever you uh, get this podcast uh, feel free feel free to write a review uh, because all that helps me in regards to this podcast now one last thing uh, this is actually my final episode for this season. Uh, my wife is about to give uh, birth to our fourth child, so I've, I've decided I'm going to take a bit of a break from um, from ministry. So I'm in a three week break. But in regards to this podcast, uh, I probably I'm not sure how long I'll have a break for, but maybe a couple of months. So just letting you know, this is the final episode uh, for this season, and I want to th- say thank you uh, for everyone for listening. Um, I checked the other day. I'm not massive on, on stats because, you know, I'm never going to be huge. But I did look at the, the stats in regards to this podcast. And I've had over 700 downloads, uh, which is really encouraging. Uh, a lot of people have been uh, telling me how they really enjoyed it. So, yeah, thank you so much for listening. I really hope I can come back, uh, do more episodes and just be a blessing for you. Thanks again for listening. And I'll catch you guys next time. <laughs>